Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. If future generations look back at what it was truly like to be both human and alive in the late 20th century, they will be hard-pressed to find a more powerful and enlightening testament than the songs of Shane McGowan. In a world where music has become increasingly sanitized and unable to venture beneath the surface cliches of human emotion, Shane's songs stand out in ever greater relief. A cinematic exploration of Shane McGowan's story, Julian Temple's film Crock of Gold details Shane's explosive existence from his salad days growing up in Ireland to time spent in the mean streets of London and embracing the punk scene to forming the Pogues and conquering the known universe. We discovered McGowan's passion, his humor, and deep knowledge of music history and spirituality as well as popular culture. The film again is called Crock of Gold and we're joined today by the director and producer of the film and that would be Julian Temple. Julian, welcome to Film School Radio. Yeah, good to be here. I know that your your career as a filmmaker has been one in which you have focused on artists, on music. That seems to be your passion in many ways. What led you to tell the story of Shane McGowan? You're right. I mean, music has been a big part of my life ever since um, I was a school kid in mid-60s London, listening to every week another better than last week every week there was this new song that just topped everything from those amazing bands like the stones the kinks particularly the who small faces you know it was a wonderful time to feel connected to music and then i was lucky enough to be around and and more of the right age to get involved in the punk moment in london particularly the pistols um and through my involvement in the punk scene, I came across Shane McGowan. There's an interview I did, the first interview with Shane is um, in the film where he's got the kind of Marlon Brando, Julius Caesar, peroxide blonde hairdo that every young punk had to pour on their head to become a punk, really, in those days. So you know how early it is. He's just still got the peroxide on him. So it's not long into his punk career. And... Um, yeah, he was, a, he was a fascinating figure even then, you know, had his own fanzine that was stood out called Bondage. Um, he had a definite, you know, charisma about him in the crowd. When Sid Vicious left the crowd, there was a vacancy that Shane kind of jumped on and took his place down the front when Sid joined the band. You know, Shane was the kind of focal figure in the crowd. From that moment, I was, you know, my camera would go across these young punks pogoing away and and end on Shane just absorbing this kind of photo synthesizing the the kind of energy coming off the stage and uh, it was clearly you know he was connected to it in a way that other people weren't this, this specific attitude and energy uh, so yeah he was fascinating to me from back then I would never have dreamt that he would become you know such a important part of Irish culture at that point. I wouldn't have really known he was Irish if I didn't know his name. Um, he was so London and um, so non-public school, which he had just left. Yes. So, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, so I think what led me to wanting to make the film was, well, one being asked by Shane and his, his uh, friend slash manager type person, Jerry O'Boyle, um, and not being certain because he comes with a reputation that, you know, you can end up deeply unhappy <laughs> having tried to do something with him. 
you know, he's a difficult person, but that's who he is. So you've you've got to decide whether you want to take that on or not. Uh, So I was uncertain until Johnny Depp said he got on board and I felt that he would have my back and that we might finish the film if he, which I believed he could, intervene at the critical moments you know when the plane was hitting really heavy turbulence he could walk into the cabin and um, kind of grab the controls or something which he did on several occasions and um yeah uh, well, but the danger of Shane is partly why I wanted to make the film I think dangerous difficult people are by definition more interesting than bland boring people um harmless people so you've got to take the abuse you've got to roll with the punches and, and you realize it it's all worth it because he's a fascinating and, and I think very important figure. It's funny uh, as you were describing as, how he is and uh, I'm having listened to him, having seen him in of all places like movies, he would randomly show up in these, you know, kind of oddball, low budget Western films or something. You just kind of have a sense of him as a kind of a contrarian. And I, and I think part of that, and I'm just kind of psychoanalyzing me a little bit here. I think part of that is to test the people around him. I think what, what comes across in, in the film and what comes across from my listening to him over the years is that he he seeks a, a kind of a very basic truth in what he is trying to do with his music and in the way that he carries himself. And he does not um, suffer fools gracefully. And I think part of what he does is to kind of fess out people around him to know kind of who's with him and who isn't. Is that fair? Is that a fair assessment? Of yeah, him? it's all on his terms. You know, he, he, he's, he's concerned about the space that he's in above all else, you know, and I, I think that's, um, he doesn't, he doesn't want people who destabilize that or don't live up to his version of that. I think you're right. You know, he does test people. It's, um, he's like throwing a hand grenade into the, onto the carpet um, and <laughs> see how you react. Um, which obviously, if you want to finish the film, <laughs> you have to react in certain ways that um, you might not do if you didn't didn't have that mission to uh, accomplish. <laughs> well, well, and it also sounds like it's good to have someone who he inherently trusts, uh, not only Johnny Depp and, as you mentioned, some of the other people, but his wife as well seems like someone who is was there to to make sure that uh, that he you know remained uh, involved in in the project. Yeah, uh, she was great, and Johnny. Yeah. They both they both were very important to the film being well, finished. Well, one of the things that really comes across in this film, and I should have known from listening to his music, but certainly comes across such a big part of telling his story, is not only his passion, but his passion for his country of Ireland. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I gleaned from watching uh, Crock of Gold, how embedded that history is not only in his life, but in the people of Ireland. And I learned a lot of kind of a history lesson of sorts watching this film and things I thought I knew a little bit about. I didn't really quite understand, especially in the context of his life. He grew up in a very poor situation, but so did Ireland grow up in a very poor situation. Tell us if you wouldn't mind going back a little bit into his history. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I I thought I knew a little bit about English-Irish history, uh, but realised I was wo- really woefully ignorant. Looking at it through Shane's eyes, um, just, it, you know, opened up whole vistas of things that I just wasn't aware of. You know, I wasn't aware that we had Irish slaves in the Caribbean as well as African slaves. I wasn't 
really aware of uh, what happened with the the deal that set up the Irish Free State, the Churchill and Michael Collins. There were a lot of things that I learned that I found fascinating, but probably most fascinating of all, I didn't realise that Shane, I had no idea that Shane was probably one of the last children to live in a version of Ireland that hadn't changed since the 18th century. You know, right. his sister, four years later, didn't live in it. This was a world with, with no electricity, no water, no TV, just horses and carts. And, um, you know, obviously that changed when electricity arrived and water and cars. And uh, so he was one of the very last people to see that image of rural Ireland that um, that can, was connected to the legends and the myths of ancient Ireland and was connected to the novels of Flann O'Brien and, and Joyce, uh, you know, obviously Joyce more Dublin, but... Uh, you know, a sense of deep, deep roots in in the almost the soul of Ireland. Um, Ireland's a very different country now from when I first went there in the seventies, but it was an even more different country that I had no idea about in the fifties because in England that had happened way before that change. So that was fascinating to see that he came from this this world and. When he romanticizes it and and mythologizes it, it it it's already halfway there anyway. He's not making it all up. It's it's kind of weird mixture of dream like recollection and reality. And uh, in a way, that informs his songs. They have a a kind of visceral reality to them, but there's a surreal and poetic humor, darkness, um, spiritual side to his songs that. You know, collides with the, the the gritty realism of them and and makes them truly special. I think. Well, what struck me uh, about that part of his life experience was, you know, we don't the United States people of the U.S. don't often think of England as a colonial power, and it was, and and well, it's why it's, not. For God's I, sake! We, well, I mean, I mean, once we became we're a first world. Yeah, country. I'm sorry, <laughs> that came out wrong. Once we became friends, I think we sort of romanticized some version of the of the English, and and but not understanding that Ireland was a colony in many ways of of England. Well, the and, British Empire was set up on the back of Irish people. Well, that that's again. I mean, this is one of the things that I didn't expect to to learn about in the way that I did from from Crock and Gold is yeah. just to the extent of that. And I I know what I said earlier doesn't exactly jive with American history, but but from I mean, sort of sort of a twentieth century look. Of yeah, no, American I got. You. I, I see what you're saying. Now. Yeah. <laughs> You've got, to, you've got to understand we were a colonial power. That, that's our raison d'etre. Yeah, no, I <laughs> didn't come out exactly the way I was hoping, but but nonetheless, okay. and, yeah, and, cool. and and that passion, again, I'll go back to this about Shane McGowan and and how uh, remarkable his, his music is. When I started listening to it, it was visceral, just as you described. It was a very powerful voice. It sort of filled up the room when you when you were listening to it, and it kind of just demanded your attention. He just has a way about him uh, mm. that when he sings and the lyrics, and once you under, kind of understand the the broke of of the Irish, um, mm. then you get a real sense of just how powerful the music and the and the lyrics were. Yeah, I think um, you know he's one of the great songwriters, as Joe Strom says in the film, who's. Is the only person I allow to say anything like that about him. But um, 
I think, you know, the, the, the impact of shame, particularly in Ireland, is still really felt by young, young bands, young musicians. You know, they, they've been freed by what he, he managed to do with the, the, the tradition, musical and cultural, in a wider sense of Ireland. You know, he shook it from the roots of the tree upwards and, and demanded respect again for it. He swung it around and if you're in the way of it, you were going to get knocked over by this swirling tree, you know, um, like one of the old Irish giants in a way. Yeah. By the way, I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with Julian Temple. He is the director and producer of this wonderful documentary film about Shane McGowan called Croc of Gold. And if you had told me in the 1980s that there would be an Irish punk band that was going to be uh, the 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 have the impact it did on the music scene, I would have doubted your words. But nonetheless, that says something about Shane. And also the Pogues were quite a beautiful wonderful man to me they sounded amazing and with yeah. without without losing a lot of the 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 historical references in their music they were a, a wonderful complement to his songs and to his lyrics yeah exactly um yeah i think they brought a punk energy to the to the irish tradition together all of them um you know that way of of not being musical maestros technical show-offs you don't need that if you've got the, the kind of soulful energy of the thing which they had yeah. you know, um, which they understood <clears throat> it's difficult to have a conversation about shane mcgowan the sort of the uh, the elephant in the room is his shall we say offstage habits and how they've impacted yeah. his his life yeah. Um, and I thought the way that it's handled in Crock of Gold is honest and forthright, and so is Shane, and so are all the people around him. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that or would impact that? Yeah, no, I, I agree. You can't avoid it. And the film, in a way, on one level is a cautionary tale. On another level, there is a tragedy in his his life story. But, you know, there's also a triumph and there's also many other meanings to his life other than the addiction that he's he's confronted and lived with so i didn't want that to dominate i mean i think it's a way of diffusing shane mcgowan's real powers and provocative strength of his songs that make you think and make you and challenge you and are dangerous in their own ways one way of diffusing all that is to tie him up in this kind of um circus animal freak junky abusive and that's it you know and you laugh at him and you wheel him onto chat shows and you think you're going to watch him fall over and what the the host of those shows don't realize is how venomous his wit is and how how they can be destroyed by this guy they think they're going to poke fun at so you know it's a it's a it's a double-edged instrument the um this notion of shane as a kind of out of it abuser of substances because he's wits you know, still very much about him. Though I didn't want to demonize him. I didn't want to canonize him. Certainly, I didn't want to whitewash him. I think his fans would get very annoyed if you weren't honest about this central aspect um, that has had horrible impact on his life. You know, you can't get away from that when you're in the room for the first time. You haven't seen him for many years. You are taken aback by it. So, mm-hmm. no way the camera's not going to catch that sense of it and then you know i think at times it, it does mean that he's a you know not a happy person you, you don't want to be like that in a wheelchair do you You want to get up 
as he says, play pool or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I didn't want to shy away from that. I, I, I hope I leavened it with with humour and enough other aspects of his life that it is not the dominant thing in this film. It's part of it, but not not the central part, even necessarily. Yeah, and absolutely. That's what I say. It was. It's a forthright. It's a very honest uh, sort of look at his, that part of his life and the impact that it's had on him. And I love that thing at the end where he's talking about, you know, as well, he's talking with his wife, Victoria, about what, you know, what do you want to do? And, you know, I want to write prolifically again. I want to write music. I want to stay in the game, basically, is what he's saying. And uh, he definitely has the intellect. He's There's no doubt in my mind watching him. Uh, in this film that he has the chops to be able to do all of those things it's it's is yeah. the body willing is the, are the other things that in, come into play are they going to be are they going to undo him or not and that's the question i think yeah that's why in a way it's quite a tantalizing kind of end to the film i think you know it's not a sentimental end there is uh there's definite hope there but it's undercut by by shane's own black humor hopefully you know <laughs> Well, I, one last question for you before we yeah. we leave, um, and that is, you know, in terms of what you knew of him going into the project, and as we sit here today at uh, in December of two thousand and twenty, what are the things that you would like to tell our audience that you learned about him and learned about the people in his life? I think the thing that really struck me was what he calls at times his mission or crusade. There was an underpinning to this project with the Pogues that I had no idea was so important to him and meaningful for him. And, you know, when in the end the band di diverged from it, that was the end of the band for him, basically. And that is the sense of reinventing Irish culture and, and, and presenting it in a new way that demanded respect and demanded people take notice of it. You know, it's a very brave thing to do in the context of the 80s and... Um, you know, the troubles in Ireland and the war between Britain and Ireland. So, you know, that, that I, I didn't realise. And, that, and that made me more respectful of him than, than I had been before. I mean, I, you know, I, know he, I knew he was difficult. I knew a lot of other things about him, but I didn't know that that was almost the central driving, you know, passion and, and forward motion of his life came from a very strong belief that he, he adhered to all the way through. He never deviated from it. Uh, and that's that's remarkable about him i think he, he loves his country he loves his people his community yeah. and that comes across uh very very effectively in this film crock of gold so uh i want to thank you julian temple i've been a fan of yours for a long time so this is a real tr honor for me to have you on the program Oh, my pleasure. Please. Thank you so much. The film again is Crock of Gold. And we've been talking to the director and the producer of this wonderful documentary film. And that would be Julian Temple. Julian, thank you so very much for being here today. My pleasure. Take care. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Music